Our scripture reading today comes from the ninth chapter of Luke, verses 51 to 62. When the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first go, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as, as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's, uh, let's have another short prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we encounter your scripture this morning, we pray that we might hear your voice and see your face as you instruct us for our living today. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Uh, the scripture lesson we have today is... Um, is part of the lectionary, and uh, so it, it's a scripture that's probably being read around the globe, around the world, by many, many Christian congregations. Um, but it seems so timely, it, it seems to me, both in terms of what's happening in our congregation, but also um, what, um, what's happening uh, around the world and in other places uh, where the need is great for God's love. This... Uh, this scripture lesson, verses 51 through 62, uh, they, this lesson is part of the ninth chapter of Luke. And if you ask me, I think the ninth chapter of Luke is a primer in, in how to follow Jesus. If you want to know what you need to do uh, to be a follower of Jesus, then just read Luke chapter 9, going from its beginning to its end. And, and I think you'll find... There's a lot of a lot of meat in here, and and a lot of instructions. So, so I want us to just look at those verses that lead up to our scripture lesson this morning, because they're they're important precursors to what happens in those uh, final verses. For instance, if you look at the first six verses, verses one through six, you get the story of Jesus sending his disciples out on into the mission field, and 
Um, in other, in the other gospels, they're sent out two by two. Luke doesn't say that. He just says that Jesus sends out his 12 disciples and he sends them out to do what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. In other words, to basically carry on what he has been doing all along. He has been teaching people about the kingdom of God. What is, what it means to live in the realm of God, where you treat one another with justice and mercy and compassion Uh, He's talking about a a kingdom that is meant to be on earth as well as in heaven. And Jesus spends most of his teaching around this very uh, point, around the point of the the kingdom of God. But he also does a lot of healing. In other words, he's he's out caring for folks who are in need of wholeness in their lives. And so what he's doing is telling his disciples, I want you to go and do what I've been doing. I want, as the Father has sent me, so I now send you. And in these few verses there, those first six verses, Luke says that Jesus gave them power to have authority over demons or over evil, if you will, and to cure diseases. So he's not only sending them out to do what he's been doing, but he's also giving them power to do that, empowering them to do what he's been doing. And then if you look at verses 10 through 17, you find the story of the disciples feeding the crowd with five loaves and two fish. Now, In the other Gospels, they mention how large the crowd is. We're told 5,000 men, which means probably 10, 15,000 people. Luke doesn't tell us that. That's not the important thing. What's important to Luke is that the disciples had just these meager resources of five loaves and two fish. And Jesus calls on them to give what they have, and it's going to be more than enough to, to feed the crowd. And as in the other gospels, there are 12 baskets left over after they've finished giving what they have. So you see here in these first few verses, Luke is giving us a sense of what Jesus is saying about how it is to be a follower of Jesus. We're to go out, we're to, we're to heal, we're, we're to make a difference in people's lives, heal them where they're hurting. We're to tell people about the kingdom of God. We're to take what resources that may seem to us to be very meager and give them over to God so they can be multiplied. Then verses 18 through 7, he asks the disciples what the crowd thinks about who he is. It's interesting. It's almost as if he realizes that after this miraculous event has taken place with so many people being fed with so few resources, He's concerned maybe that the crowd is going to look at him as just a magic man, just somebody to just come and do these miraculous things. And so he's saying, tell me, tell me what the people are saying. I want the scuttlebutt. I want to know what people are saying about me. And then it becomes clear what he's all about because he then tells them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Because what he has just done is he has told them after he has asked them what people are saying about them, about him, he then begins to tell them that he is to suffer, he is to die, and he is to be raised again on the third day. He's saying, it's nice what they're saying about me, but let me tell you what that means. And then he tells his disciples, and then he says, if you want to be my follower, you're going to have to pick up your cross. Just as I'm going to die on a cross, you're going to have to pick up your cross if you want to follow me. In other words, he's saying it won't be easy to be my follower. Then in verses 28 through 42, he takes Peter, James, and John up on top of the mountain 
Mount Tabor is what we know of the mountain today. And, and he's transfigured with the prophet Elijah and Moses. We have a painting of that in our sanctuary, the transfiguration, a reproduction of Raphael's famous painting. And, and he takes them up there as if to say to these 12 Jewish followers of his, I'm a fulfillment of everything you've learned as a child, everything you've learned about, about God through the law and the prophets. Well, I'm a fulfillment of all that. But he doesn't end there. He then takes them down into the valley where he heals a boy who is possessed by demons. And we see that in the painting as well. To tell this story, the transfiguration, you have to tell the story of the boy being healed in the valley. It's all part of one story, you see. So again, he's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to go into the valley. And then verses 43 through 48, he warns them that he's going to be betrayed. He's already told them that he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again. But now he's saying, someone among you, perhaps, or someone among all of my followers, someone's going to turn me in. Someone's going to betray me. And they are so confused by what they're hearing that they sort of change the subject. Or maybe they take it in a different direction. It's as if they're saying, hmm... Well, if he's going to die, that means he's going to be up in heaven. I wonder what my place will be. And so what they start doing is they start debating among themselves who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And that's when Jesus takes a little child and says, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. Then he says, for the least among all of you is the greatest. Do you, do you see the map that he's lying, laying out for his disciples through, through all of these verses in the, in the greater part of the Gospel of Luke chapter 9? Luke is showing us what Jesus is saying to us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's when Luke tells us that Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem in verse 51, the beginning of our scripture lesson this morning. He was going to the very place where he would suffer and die for the sins of the world. In other words, all of that leading up to verse 51 is saying, this is what's going to happen with me. This is what you need to do if you want to follow me. And then on verse 51, he turns his face toward Jerusalem. No wonder his would-be followers began to make excuses so they wouldn't have to follow him. And that's the point where Jesus then, through these would-be followers who come up to him, that's when he begins to give or explain the reasons why people choose not to follow him. They're the reasons that we often carry in our own hearts. These three reasons are why we take our eyes off the goal which is to follow Christ. Let's look at them. Reason number one. Reason number one that we choose not to follow Jesus is that we look for comfort and perceived security. Remember what, what the fellow said, I will follow you wherever you go. That's what we say. But then we turn away just as this would-be follower probably did. When Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, we, like foxes and birds, we look for those familiar places, that, that, that home that gives us a sense of security, a sense of belonging. 
To follow Jesus is to rely on God, to go into the unknown like, like Abram was called to do. You know, when God came to Abram before he was Abraham, God said to Abraham, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants that will number like the stars in heaven, but you've got to go where I send you. And I'm not even going to tell you where that is. You've just got to go, but you've got to leave behind. You've got to leave behind your family and all that, all the riches that you've accumulated at this point. You've got to leave all that behind and follow me into the unknown. It reminds me of that, uh, that poem by... Um, many Haskins. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go into the darkness. Put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than the known way. You see, that's what Christ is calling his his followers to do is to go out into the darkness, to go into the unknown. You know, I've lived, I, I tried to do a little calculation. I've lived in, I believe, about 17 different uh, dwellings in, since I was born, starting out in Alabama. I've lived, I have lived in apartments. I have lived in duplexes. I have lived in trailers, not, not mobile home. I mean, trailer. I have lived in single-family homes. I've lived in the suburbs, the city, lived in the country. And let me tell you, every one of those moves was painful. But you know, every one of those painful moves ended up in wonderful blessings. And so every move was worth it. I wouldn't change one of them. You know, this past week we uh, learned that that the United Kingdom is leaving... uh, the European Union, Brexit, I think they called it. And uh, boy, the stock market went crazy. Uh, I, think, uh, I, think it, I think the Dow closed 600 down on, at the end of the day on, on Friday. Who knows what it's, what's going to happen on Monday. Maybe it'll fall even farther. But every, every uh, stock exchange around the globe fell dramatically <clears throat> because of this vote. And, and as I listened to commentaries about uh, why this was happening, it, it was all about uncertainty. It wasn't about things are going to be bad and therefore this is why that has to happen. No, nobody knows. It, it could be good. It could be bad. Will this, uh, will this start a trade war? What? Nobody knows. It's that uncertainty. And, and what I heard over and over again is the stock market likes certainty, which means uh, even if they know things are going to be bad, it actually won't be so bad for the stock market if they can count on it, if they can plan for that. But when there's uncertainty, things go crazy. Well, you and I are like that. We don't like uncertainty. We, we want things to be real clear. We want to know when we wake up this morning, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And so this idea of following Jesus into the unknown it's, it's hard for us. It's difficult. We want to hang on to the things that make us feel secure. Remember that statement, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Well, reason number two that we choose not to follow Jesus is that we look to empty rituals for redemption. Remember the would-be uh, 
uh, follower of Jesus said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus responds, let the dead bury their own dead. Remember that. Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but most people, when, when we come to that scripture, we go, whoa, 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 that doesn't sound like Jesus. Somebody must have penciled that in. That was somebody else talking. That doesn't, what do you mean? Let the, bury, let the dead bury their own dead. What, what is this about? You know, here's a young man perhaps that's burying his father. What happened to that commandment about honoring your father and your mother? We, we just, we go crazy trying to figure out what it means. To really understand this passage, we need to, understand a little bit of its context in first century Jewish burial practices. Uh, in the time of Jesus, there were actually two burials that took place among the Jews. First occurred within 24 hours, very soon after the death of a loved one. When someone died, they immediately uh, prepared the body and put them in a tomb or in a cave or in some kind of a, you know, cold, out-of-the-way place. And for seven days, then, they would mourn the death of that loved one. And that would be the, the period of intense mourning. And then for about 30 days, they would, they would have uh, continuing uh, mourning, but uh, not to the same extent as the, um, excuse me, as the first uh, seven days. And then the body would continue its decomposition. And the body would slowly decompose until it became nothing but bones. And that would take about a year. And at the end of that, that period of time, as the body decomposed, the family would gather together and they would take those bones that remained and they would put them in what was called a, a, a bone box or an ossuary. You know, we, you may recall that the, the Ark of the Covenant was believed to hold uh, some of the bones of Moses as well as perhaps the Ten Commandments. But the point is that they would take those remains and they would put them in this box and then they would take it out of that tomb and then they would be placed in some family burial place. That was the second, secondary burial. And, and the understanding was that during that year of decomposition, that was the period of atonement when, when the person who had died their sins would be atoned by the decomposition of their body so that by the time there were nothing but bones left, then they would be in the embrace of God. So think about it. What, what Jesus is saying to this would-be follower, it says, forget your, your empty ritual. This is not going to save you. You can sit by those bones for the rest of your life and it's not going to save you. You've buried the remains of your father. Now let your father, the dead one, bury his own dead, which might be other family members that are in that cave or that mausoleum or whatever. Their bodies are being decomposed. And he's saying, let him bury them because he's already dead now. The body is gone. If you want atonement, if you want reconciliation, if you want redemption, look to me. Look to God. Because you see, only God can save. Don't let empty rituals get in the way of following me. 
Now, what does that mean for us? It means coming to church every Sunday, singing hymns, listening to boring preachers, doing all that hard stuff. It's not going to get you into heaven. Just because you have some water put on you or you are immersed in water, it's not going to save you. That's not what's going to save you. It's that the rituals are not going to save you. Just saying you're a Christian isn't enough. Won't get you into heaven. You see, following Christ is about proclaiming God's kingdom. That's that's what he said. If, If you want to follow me, then go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And do it by the way you live. Let people see by the way you live that God is part of your life. It's almost as if he he wants to use the words of Micah who said that you are to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. That's what's important. These empty rituals, they're not enough. And then the third reason, the third final reason that Jesus really offers to us in this ninth chapter of Luke why we often choose not to follow Jesus is we look back with unwarranted nostalgia. Remember the would-be follower says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. But Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, he wants to go back, this would-be follower. He wants to go back home and kind of think about all the wonderful times he's had at home. He wants to say farewell. He wants to really spend some time just kind of bathing himself in the wonderful memories that he had of home. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't look back if you want to follow me. You, you and I, we have selective memories, don't we? we? We think the past is better than it really was. For the mothers among us, you, you know, you remember the birth, you forget the labor. We remember the good times, not the bad. It's almost like when we look at our lives, we want to say, we, were, we lived where all the women are strong and all the men are good looking and all the children are above average. Garrison Keeler really captures how we look at our lives often when we look back on them. We remember Leave It, Leave it to Beaver, and well, maybe some of you don't, but I do. We remember Father Knows Best and I Love Lucy, and we forget those signs over the bathroom doors that say, Whites Only. We forget about the bread lines in the dust of those who traveled west to find a new home. We forget about the lynchings. We forget about all that past when we say we want to go back there and make things the way they used to be. In the wilderness, after years of wandering, the Hebrews, they began to want to go back to Egypt. They forgot what slavery was like. They forgot about the taskmasters and the, and the beatings and the killings. They forgot all that. All they remembered was there was food there and there was, there was water. That's what I remember and that's what I want and I'm going to go back there because I don't know where the promised land is. I don't know where that land flowing with milk and honey might be. I want to go back. And 
what's that? Slavery? I don't remember that. That's our choice, isn't it? Canaan or Egypt? Do we want to go back to the past or go forward into the unknown future? You know, sometimes we choose the past because it's the only thing we know. You know, I'm still waiting for the day that they'll open a Cracker Barrel here in uh, Charlottesville. But every time I go to a Cracker Barrel somewhere else, I always order meatloaf. I always order more. And every time, every time I order meatloaf, I, I pound on the table and I say, I don't want to order meatloaf, but I'm afraid to order anything else because I don't know what everything else tastes like. And the worst thing that can happen to me is me to order something else and it comes to the table and I go, oh my, I wish I had the meatloaf. Or if I go to Olive Garden, I always get the ravioli, you know. Well, for one thing, it's the cheapest thing on the menu. But <laughs> the other reason is it's good. And I'm afraid if I order something else, it's just not going to taste like what I'm used to. Going back simply prevents us from going into the future. Well, Luke concludes the chapter and this scripture lesson by giving really another reason we choose not to follow Jesus. It's not the three that Jesus gives, but it's one that's so true. We don't like where Jesus is going. Remember what happened in the first verses when Jesus sends uh, some of his disciples on ahead to the Samaritan village, ostensibly to find a place where they can rest for the night? And they, they won't, no, no way. No, we don't want you here. In verse 53, it says, They did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus was going into the heart of the people the Samaritans hated, namely the Jews. Yeah, they, they didn't want to follow Jesus. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus because he was going to their enemies. Now, let me say, the Jews didn't hate, didn't like the Samaritans either. They hated on both sides. It's kind of like, like Noah fleeing from Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was the capital of the enemy state of Assyria. And Noah was Jewish. He hated them so much he was willing to go in the opposite direction of where God was leading him. The Samaritans had no stomach for the Jews. And so they were not about to follow Jesus. But that is precisely where Jesus leads us. He leads us to people that we might find difficult to love. Do you want to be his follower? Then you'll need to keep your eyes on the goal. You'll, you'll need to remind yourself that you can't look for comfort and a kind of perceived security if you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus. You cannot depend upon empty rituals for redemption. And you can't look backward toward that unwarranted nostalgia. But you've got to look in the direction of people you may not like. That's where you'll find the cross. And that's where you'll find Christ. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let us pray.
Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for being just like the people we read about in the Bible. We want to follow you, but we're afraid. So forgive us, Lord, and then send us on our way. Amen. We're going to enter into...